Hello. Hi, this is uh, Bam Electric Ghost. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, great. Yeah, we just had a little technical glitch. but Yeah, I could tell. No problem. Everything gets uh, like resetting it. <laughs> yeah, like many things. So, Bam Electric Ghost, you know, is my uh, my name on my podcast. I actually am a musician and producer myself, but I had this podcast for the last two years. We've been interviewing indie artists all over the world. And now we're talking to Shoefinger, so I'm glad you joined. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really cool to um, be able to talk to indie artists around the world just using a smartphone. Um, yeah, it's very convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it lets you talk to people from you know places you probably w- wouldn't be able to pay for the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I sent you the, the list of questions that we usually um, you know, uh, use when we talk to artists. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at your um your 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 short bio on your um Spotify, mm-hmm. and it said you're an experimental artist from San Diego, California, with um, roots in hip hop and jazz and techno house, noise rock. But I think you're also from like England, right? No, I'm not from England. Oh, uh, not from I was I was born in Mexico. Oh, Mexico, Tijuana, Mexico, oh. um, and I moved to San Diego when I was uh, pretty young. I was like about five years old. And then uh, I spent most of my time there up until going to college in Northern California and then coming back last year to San Diego. Oh, well, I know what happened. I saw somebody from Norwood, Great Britain, that was listening to you. Uh, <laughs> and I assumed that you were from London because of that. But um, sorry about that. No, no problem. Um, yeah, that's cool. So, so like, your, your music is very uh, much in the kind of, like, I love uh, multiple genres. And I like artists that kind of mix genres and the fact that you're doing like hip hop and jazz and techno and house and noise and rock. It's really, you know, interesting. I, I like to hear that kind of hybrid music. So, yeah, I mean, I just try to somehow combine all of my influences and the things that I listen to um, without, you know, making it too gimmicky or like reductive. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think, I think my um, alter ego, Josephine, would would love to like sing over some of your songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for for people for vocals. Yeah, yeah. As long as you let me like distort the hell out of them, yeah, or yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Josephine is is a creation of a voice coder in the first place. <laughs> I had I had read them, so maybe it's best to leave them alone if they're well, already distorted. <laughs> no, well, she she goes all kinds of ways, so I mean, yeah, distortion would work. Uh, but yeah it's just interesting i was looking at your album so your current album um is that like how is my driving is that the first is the current one or is there another that's one? the most recent one yeah there's a couple coming that i've written all the songs a couple eps that i've written all the songs for and i've had i just haven't finished mixing them mm-hmm. um but there's there's a lot of things coming the part two for that and then some other projects so you're part of a collective or a p- collective publishes your stuff? Yeah, a collective publishes my stuff. I've been Flow. Um, Flow, yeah, artist collective. I was looking at that. Which is a pretty diverse group of people, not all musicians. Um, some are like graphic designers and artists of various kinds, like rappers. Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, people I met in, in college. And they, they're nice enough to, to publish all my all my work on streaming sites and stuff like that that's awesome so let me get to the questions and maybe we can kind of roll through how i usually do an interview um sure. when did you first get into music at what age well uh i think i've always been into music my parents are are very musical people uh my dad is a is a, a dancer uh and he he listened to a lot of uh, traditional Latin American music and just blasted it at all hours of the day when I was growing up. So I've always had a lot of uh, access to music, but I didn't really start um, playing music until I was like uh, seven or eight years old. I, I took piano lessons for about five years, and then I switched to guitar when I was 12 or 13. So, and which I'm is your 20... favorite favorite instrument? I, I hear a lot of synthesizers, and I hear guitar on your music. So, have you um, probably getting the keyboards, or are you just using like soft synths or like DAWs? It's it's my favorite is probably guitar. It's just the the longest the instrument I've 
uh, consistently work the most with. I've been playing like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Piano, I played for five years under like lessons and I didn't really like lessons mm-hmm. very much. So I just kind of quit and then didn't play f- piano for a really long time to focus on guitar. But then in with the advent of like synths and like me discovering like, yeah, synthesizers and uh, pianos that I liked, mm-hmm. piano sounds that I really liked. Because I, when I was, you know, like a, a teenager, I started getting back into playing it. Yeah, what I found is like I, I, I you know, I'm a showing my age. I'm like in my mid fifties, and um, I kind of grew up with the with the new wave, the new romantics, mm-hmm. and, and you know when instruments that were really iconic to me were like the Jupiter Eight, the Juno One Hundred Six, you know, the um, Prophet Five. When those yeah. synthesizers started getting used, or mm-hmm. even when Newman did, he used the Polymog on cars. Yeah, um, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so that really got me into synths and I got into Moogs and I got into semi-modular and your racks and I, I just thought and the thing about synths it's not exactly like playing piano you know it you isn't try, <laughs> yeah you actually try to emulate other instruments and so you don't you break a lot of rules or you do things di- a lot differently than a straight piano player would do um and so I think that got me I, also you know as a as a musician when you use a synth you can kind of create the whole band you, oh yeah you, you can do and, the bass you can do the strings you can do the guitar you can do everything and also <laughs> just as someone who works in electronics the the knob twiddling and the 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 was definitely Doodling. something that was appealing to me and yeah. <laughs> the science behind and, and like the the acoustic the acoustical physics part because i'm a physicist uh also, definitely deep into it oh yeah <laughs> so yeah. when i when i first discovered like yeah, modular synthesis a couple of years ago. I definitely took a huge, huge di- deep so dive. So you're into subtractive synthesis? Or are you into like? Uh, yeah, I mean, model. I I'm mostly into like I've been getting really getting into FM synthesis recently. FM, FM, yeah. I'm still kind of a Moog guy. I'm doing a heavy like subtractive. This time I have Moogs, and uh, I just I, I've been playing with them in, inside of Eurorack. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I think if I had Moogs, I would be <laughs> I'd be really into <laughs> subtractive yeah. synthesis. Yeah, it was just that you work with what you got. Like, there's something about because they're kind of, you know, I don't know, they're they're so hands on. Like any any kind of modular synth is hands on, but they're like the original, you know. And if you get into them, they're just there's something about them. They have a lot of character. They're hand built, kind of like guitars in a way, just because they just. Mm-hmm. They have Absolutely. a hand-built nature, and each model, going back to the mini Moogs and the Model Fifty Fives and the Model Threes, and they all have character. They all, they're, they're all different. Yeah, especially especially those those analog synths. Definitely, like even the same instrument, like yeah. two different copies of that same yeah. instrument will sound slightly yeah, you different. Get a, a and model that's from seventy four. And you get one from like that was released in the December '74, and the one that released in <laughs> June of '74. They sound different. Yeah, they do, and they feel very different. Yeah, and it's, it's just unfortunately I haven't had much access to, <laughs> to those, but uh, just just being able to like play it in music yeah. stores and like the people that I know that do have those is, has definitely been mind. Yeah, there's just something about their nature. I mean, they take a little while to warm up, and there's a there's a technique like if I turn on my mode and I play it before it warms up, it sounds totally different. And then I'll capture that stuff on tape and then use, use it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely experienced that with, like, two bands yeah. uh, on the guitar oh, side. So, you know, I'm telling you, the same thing happens with the with, the, with the analog synth, like that same kind of behavior, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that that's, I think, yeah, I think guitar players and analog synth players can have some things in common and that we like to use like older technology or like the fact that we're playing like real instruments. Not that, you know, soft synths or DAWs are not instruments, but there's there's a different feeling when you actually play to me a physical instrument. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think to a certain point that difference can get mitigated if you're playing, you know, even if you're playing a VST, if you have some kind of MIDI controller. Yeah. Yeah, if you tweak the knobs on that MIDI controller and you see the effects of because I mostly I don't have uh, modular synthesizers 
uh, physically, but I work a lot in like BCP yeah, rack, yeah, yeah. if yeah. you know what that they, is. They can, they can emulate uh, a lot. And with just like a, a MIDI controller, just assigning the knobs on the MIDI controller to like LFOs and whatever in the in the NBC V rack is a pretty like physical experience and it does feel like you're playing it. Yeah, I think when you play that knob for function and you're not like a I guess, you know, there's a difference between like a musician and a producer and a person that's got musical capabilities and somebody who's more of a like a, a DJ that's running something off a of CDJ. Um I think mm-hmm. like if you've got musical theory behind you or you've got the the, the, I don't know, that you're inventive, that you want to go in and actually not just use a preset or a sample, you want to create the tone. Absolutely. And, and you, I yeah. think that, that is a different type of experience, you know, because you're kind of sound engineering and creating at the same time. Yeah. And whatever tool you use to do that sound generation, if you're doing that kind of sound generation that you're building stuff from scratch, yeah, I give props to people doing that because that's kind of, I come from the you know, traditionally, like guys like Keith Emerson, you know, and going back mm-hmm. in, in the day, you know, like Bernie Worrell from Funkadelic, people who actually, you know, built the tones. Yeah, absolutely. Just creating that yeah, whole profile. I think that is like part of electronic music was actually using these instruments to create the timbres, you know, to create the tones. And I think in the end, it makes you sound, it makes it sound a little cooler because it's something that, you know, you don't hear very often if it's not like a preset. Sometimes today, everybody's using the same sample. They're using the same, you know, thing out the box. And then. And, you know, and it's, it, it really depends because if you're just using it to like make a, a beat or which is, which is like something that I did for a while was just like make beats and sell them to like SoundCloud rappers. Because you know, in, in college, that definitely helped me yeah, like yeah, pay yeah. bills. <laughs> but when you're doing that and you have to just crank out a bunch of beats, sometimes it, it's more time and cost effective to just go into like Omnisphere or Nexus and just you pick a preset and make something really quick. But when you're def- when I definitely when I wanted to make my own music and not just something that someone would like rap over. I definitely focus a lot more on the, the sound engineering. Yeah, I think it's just to, to differentiate yourself. You know, it's like if, if you're using samples and loops and you're grabbing stuff like, like Fruity Loop or something, that's cool. But if you actually take like a real 808 or you take like mm-hmm. like a Moog DFAM and you build a beat from an analog drum machine from scratch, there's something about doing that that just gives you like your own profile. You know, give you something that's a little different. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think people can tell, even if they don't think that they can tell, even if people don't really know what's going on, like the, the very specifics of like the sound, people can tell the difference between, you know, yeah, at least subconsciously between like a stock 808 from the stuff that comes with Fruity Loops and something that was like recorded yeah it's like you know there's like like i don't know if, if you describe it like if you take like a analog drum machine like a drum brute or, mm-hmm. or a dfam and you build something from scratch versus like sampling something and grabbing you know something that was already out there this again i don't know there, there's a dynamicism and it, it kind of like college radio going back to like that day between if you go back and listen to a band like rem Right. And you go back and listen mm-hmm. to, you know, like the replacements of who's to do. There's something about that's authentic about that kind of, you know, rawness that you can get. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the stuff, some of the stuff today, I would, I would argue, kind of, kind of sounds antiseptic. You know, it sounds too clean. If it's, if it's too clean, yeah, I think sometimes that's a problem for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think most of the samples that get passed around that you can just find on the internet have also just gotten the absolute heck compressed out of them. And that's just like a technological issue after after a while, but it does make things kind of stale. Yeah, I think the staleness of it is like the whole idea, like when Mo created his instruments, he he wanted them to be used live. You know, the idea of doing electronic music was to kind of be like a jam band like the Allman Brothers and actually go out and do very experimental stuff live and kind of running it 
through sequences or loops and stuff kind of takes the life out of it. If if you don't oh, yeah. play it kind of <laughs> like a jazz musician and, and do some, you know, uh, you know, noodling and just kind of go off. I think that always makes it fresher if you if you kind of can go off and then come back to it. And I use sequencers and I'm a one man band. And so there's stuff I have that's preset, but there's a lot of stuff I play live. You know, you know, it's just yeah. live playing. There's nothing ever kind of goes away, takes away from it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. So, so you, when did you realize that you could actually write your own music? Like, like you started getting into guitar, but there are people that learn an instrument and they never write their own material. They they play other people's material. They become studio musicians or something. I mean, they 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 don't decide that they're going to be like their own artists. They're going to write their own stuff. When, when did you think that you could do that? Well, I think like from the second I picked up, I started or wanted to write my music. I was actually decent at my instrument because I, I was afraid of writing like really terrible music. Uh, which is what would have happened if I had started writing music. I think when I was first starting, I wanted, I would set like uh, goals for myself where I would like learn a specific song that I thought was really good. And then once I could play that song really well for like for, for guitar, it was a uh, black magic woman mm-hmm. by Carlos okay. Santana. Well, the first like two or three years I was just learning like random, like, like smoke on the water and, all the things that you learn when you're learning guitar. Uh, but once I could like play a full song that was, that was kind of like jazzy and not super like incredibly easy to play, and I mastered that, and I was like, okay, now I'm gonna start writing my own music, and I have some of the found the fundamentals to make it not. Yeah, sound so you have to get some terrible. foundational capability, which is I think typical of most musicians. They got to build up that that confidence that you that you can master what your instrument and then from there you can kind of you always like can learn new things you never i don't think you ever fully i think if you always push yourself you never fully master your instrument if you start going different ways you can you kind of get yourself in a place where you're not comfortable but that's kind of cool um <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know but- I, I i understand like you got to feel confident enough that you that you have something to say or you, you, know, you, can, you can master your instrument to a certain level that you feel that people want to hear what you're doing yeah i think it was it was probably two years into playing guitar so that was probably 14 or 15 and i i had like an early ipad or i think it, it might have been the ipod yeah. touch first and it had oh, garage, so band garage band on band it first? yeah and then i just put i got one of those little uh, oh, iRig yeah. things. No, it was it was like it was like the pre like the predecessor yeah, to iRig. Yeah, so you could like link a guitar to it. So I could so I could plug my guitar into the iPad and then I just tapped on the on the screen to play all the drums. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. At the beginning, you know, everybody starts at a certain place, you know. Um. So so, have you moved to like digital audio workstations and? Yeah, I well these days I'm I mostly work in in FL Studio and Ableton, Ableton sometimes. You got uh, It depends on what I'm going so for. Are you Ableton Live or full Ableton? Oh. Uh, Ableton Live and, and, and FL, FL Studio. Studio. Yeah, okay, yeah. I worked with an artist that used FL Studio. Um, I'm kind of weird. and I, I use um, hardware digital recorders. I use Zoom R16 and R24. Oh, cool. Because I kind of grew up... Like, yeah, well, no, that's cool. I grew up using Tascam four tracks and eight tracks, and so yeah. to me, my natural progression was like I looked at DAWs, but I, I didn't like what happened because, you know, I have analog sense, and what I found is when I brought yeah. my Moog into Ableton, it would compress the hell out of it. No, compared, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if I was in your situation, I would have done the exact. So same I ended up bringing it. I just yeah, into, when I into into digital recorder. You know, because I don't like losing it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I was used to that method of recording because actually I used GarageBand for the instruments, but I didn't actually record in GarageBand. I recorded in like one of those like four track oh, apps. Track apps. 
that were on the yeah yeah where i would just loop something and then just overdub and overdub and overdub until the song was over (laughs) doing overdubs in a that kind of way sometimes creates a lot of really cool experimentation uh you know what i call yeah I mean, I look back on some of that, some of those recordings, and they're, they weren't that well, this, bad. <laughs> you know, if, if you go back, you know what used to be done on the reel-to-reels in the in the old eight-track, sixteen-track, you know, analog studios. There's something about punch in, punch out, overdubbing that allows you to kind of capture things and not go crazy trying. I mean, you try to you perfect things, but you can't go crazy as crazy mm-hmm. as you can with a doll. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think given the chance, you know, if I ever got to work in like a super nice studio that had like real to real tapes, I would absolutely yeah, take yeah, that chance. You'd to, want to go with yeah. an analog recording capability. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a lot of people are going that way nowadays or trying to go back and finding like, you know, a, a, a Neve board and you know, trying to get like uh, actual tape, especially guys who are using like analog synths. Can, can we find mm-hmm. that if we take our analog synths and we have all these expensive analog synths and we try to bring in the Ableton, we don't hear what we heard, you know, through the air. <laughs> yeah, that definitely so, something uh, in the in that conversion. Yeah, the conversion doesn't work. And so if you're going to have those instruments, it's better to bring them right into a Zoom or into a Tascam Model 24 or, or you know, a reel-to-reel tape machine um, just because it's like, you know, playing an acoustic guitar, I'd rather capture it with an analog mic system if I could, you know. Yeah. Just because I think it definitely up a lot more. Um, I think that would be the, the way that I would go if I was, you know, working in a studio or something. But, you know, the way the way that things have worked out so far, most of my, you know, most of the synths that I have are digital. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the way the that world I've created is there's so many mice. digital kind of sense or soft sense or VSTs that you can capture, you know, into FL Studio or into a DAW. But like in the last yeah. five years, there has been this big resurgence in hardware sense. Uh, and so yeah. there's so many of the companies that died, you know, because Moog and Profit were gone and now they're back. Um, and so, yeah, the ability to be able to get like a grandmother or a Profit X or you know Rev two, these are machines that are actually better than some of the machines from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, or or definitely, I want to look into getting one of those Behringer copies of like the Model yeah. D. Model because I've heard it sounds like very close to yeah, the real the, thing. Re- the replication of the Model D, you know, the Behringer Model D is pretty close to a real D, and um, you know, companies like Behringer are pretty cool because they're putting out like the SH one hundred and one is pretty authentic um, that their clone of the SH-101, which is like iconic Roland, uh, their their version of it is is pretty good. And even their 808 yeah, drum machine is pretty good. So that kind of gives people I've also an ability to, to get the real analog, which I would suggest uh, with those budget Behringer products is more, uh, you're more likely to be able to grab that, you know, and then... yeah. And I already have experience with with their like guitar pedals because when I when I started I would only get like stuff off eBay, and I would get like the Behringer Tube Screamer clone <laughs> or build or build them myself. Yep. And I do know that like even though they're not as uh, like sturdy as something like oh, a yeah. Boss pedal, I wasn't like when I was starting I wasn't like playing live anywhere. I was just in my room. I wasn't yeah, gonna be like destroying them. Blasting it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't I didn't need the like high end tube overdrive from boutique.com. Yeah, I don't need a Moog Frogger, you know. <laughs> exactly. But um yeah, I mean I think it's cool that there are now hardware since they're affordable. So it gives people an option now with it said, Oh, I can't afford the hardware, but now there are some that I think are I think it gives people a palette. You know, I've I've collected over the years a lot of hardware since, and it just I like having the palette, the sonic palette that they give it to give you. So when you mm-hmm. when they make them more affordable, then I, I'm always encouraging people like, yeah, that's, that's a good way to go if you can get into it, because um, it will just give you a sound that nobody else is gonna have. 
there's a variability yeah, think... with these machines that will give you like like sonic enjoyment for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, and also just the fact that they're more available means that that music gets brought back into the mainstream a little bit. Yeah, well, like music I, I that's made with hardware synths. That, that new wave, new romantic sound, or even a progressive Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you know, uh, the Brio to bring that kind of sound, Rick Wakeman sound. I mean, just because those guys, you know, there was a, they were merging like classical with jazz. Oh, yeah. Rock, and the, 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 the progressive, you know, stuff that you used to hear from bands like Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer, I mean, it's, yeah, and like yeah, Genesis. Like Genesis, like you know, Peter Gabriel Genesis. King, yeah, King Crimson. There's, there's something about that music that that's electronic music to me, and that's what I grew up on. And you know, later like Brian Eno and the stuff that like Bowie was doing in Berlin, and bands like Kraftwerk, you know, they they and they kind of took a different direction, but it's still cool to kind of have that base of of knowledge in electronic music, where you're not just trance or EDM. Not that those are bad, but I think yeah. the progressive genre allows more experimentation and, and a wider range of things you could do. Um, mm -hmm. That you could mix EDM and then go off and do something classical and then go off and do something jazz and bring it back to EDM. But sometimes EDM yeah. and trance kind of get locked into just staying in their own genre. I do agree. And I think that there's been a little bit of a surgence in a resurgence in experimentalism, but less so in like in trance and stuff like that, and more in techno and house, which is the stuff that I listen yeah, to. Yeah, I hear most. that you're you're not locked it's... into that, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I've I seen see a that lot you're of really kind of cool like stuff a, come out of a wider reference point that you you kind of go off on your albums in a lot of different directions, which is I think that's you know always good. As, as an existence. yeah sometimes sometimes to a fault sometimes i have to like rein myself <laughs> in and they're like well isn't there supposed to be like an underlying concept or something that all these songs have in common and then you know the other half of me thinks ah you know screw it no i think the screw it <laughs> attitude is always good because i think the, the, you never know when you're experimenting you know what somebody's gonna dig and what they won't dig and you know self-editing and you self-edit yourself when you're an artist but the wider your reference points, you know, you never know what song is going to actually kick with people. And yeah, I, I definitely agree. With so that. Like, you could do something and say, well, everybody wants me to stay in this. But when you actually break out and you do something that like the one song that's different on your record could be the one song that really kicks, you know? Yeah. And I, th I think it does help me that, you know, I, I've been spending a lot more time doing music, but it's still not like my full time job. So on it for for you know like as my main source of income i'm not really afraid of taking risks or like doing things that people won't necessarily like yeah i mean i think that's the whole thing with the indie genre is like a lot of us we're not like totally professional musicians where we're living off what we do um and so we can go mm -hmm. and create things that aren't necessarily um you know top 10 top 100 you know <laughs> they were creating kind of music because we want to create it that we love it and exactly so i think yeah you know, that's where soundcloud artists are you know that's where you know a lot of spotify artists are is like that we're able to kind of do some stuff and then later people might find you, you know a lot of bands like the velvets weren't found the velvet underground weren't found until after their heyday you know a band like big star yeah. alex yeah. that wasn't They're... found there's a lot of stories of people doing what they wanted and then the world kept catching up later <laughs> yeah that's definitely a very common theme yeah. in music and even in electronic music too, there's a big resurgence like of of some of the the '90s like UK garage scene in modern day like booty house for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. I think there's always that kind of like there's always going to be people on the on the on the leading edge, and they might not like be as successful in their in the time that they're playing. Then people go back and they look at what they did and they're like. And they're like, oh, yeah, this was cool. cool. Let's, uh, let's, try, let's try this again. again. You know, that, that always happens. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I think agree. like as a musician, you think a lot of times, like if, if you're in, in it because you want to be in the top 10, you, if you don't hit the top 10, you're going to get out of it. 
that that's a different type of musician than than, than the one that's that doing it because they love it. Yeah, and I think I think that music tends to last longer, definitely, precisely because people find it out later. It tends to like transcend what music was popular during that time, and then you know if it if it can be rediscovered ten years later, if that doesn't if that rediscovery doesn't work out twenty years later, oh it yeah, might work out, I mean, everything so. that gets put down, people go back. You know, it's like the whole history of like rock and roll is people went and found like Red and, Belly. They found Lightning Hopkins. They found all these great blues guys, guys like Keith Richards yeah. and you know, and the guys in the Who and Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, all those guys. They found they found all these like Texas blues. Yeah, like grainy recordings of yeah, Robert Johnson, Johnson Led and Belly, like Blind Lemon yeah, Jefferson. All these guys, and then that stuff never was super big, but but it became the building blocks of what we know as rock, you know, as, as like traditional hardcore yeah. rock. And so it got all brought back, you know, in the 60s, all that and, stuff was everywhere. You were hearing Lead Belly everywhere. You know, you were hearing it in, in Lead Zepp and Cream and everything. Um, yeah, and sometimes in those cases, it wasn't even just the, the like the, the bedrock. It was like a ripoff yeah, well, almost. Like, <laughs> Page was accused a lot of times of not actually citing that he was using Lead Belly. Um, yeah, <laughs> where like Keith Richards would more willing to actually. Yeah, some people were were transparent more transparent about, where, about yeah, their Keith influences. Richards, like loves those guys, and so he he always yeah. would like say, "I'm using you know Lightning and Hopkins. I'm using Led Belly. I'm doing that." You know. But right now, there's bands that are sounding exactly like Led oh, yeah. Zeppelin. Yeah, I know what and, you're talking about. <laughs> and giving no credit whatsoever. I won't mention I know who any you're names. <laughs> yeah, the, they got the look, they got the feel. They're not doing the exact song, but they're in the same space. Yeah. But it's like the same energy, the voice, the the drums. Well, the look, you I know. mean, they got the look. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, definitely. I mean, I don't have a problem with people like liking you know the other band. But one of my favorite bands, Big Star, was like a clone of the Beatles, but they weren't exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've listened to yeah, Big, I think Star, Big Star sounds different than the Beatles, but they kind of come from the Beatles. Oh, yeah. But you know, they were different enough that it was, you know, they were better to me than Bad Finger. Um, they, they, they had a unique sound. It wasn't like Bad Finger was kind of a total clone, but um, Big Star is not. Yeah, I think Big Star is kind of like. I think that's the way to go is more than a clone, just like get that same energy, but execute it. Yeah, it's like the idea of power pop that Big Star took actually ended up being a big influence the bands like REM and the replacements and who's could do and like early alternative, you know, college radio in the early eighties was heavily influenced by Alex Tilton, a big star in the same way. A lot of people were influenced yeah, by, I can absolutely Velvet, see that by the Velvet Underground, you know, is, is they're, they're to me is like, there's just as influential as the Velvets in a way. Cause you got guys like, you know, Smash and Pumpkins were influenced by them. REM, the replacements, you know, who's could do and so many bands from the eighties that were really inspired by Big Star. And, you know, I'm a keyboardist, but Big Star, the sound, the structure of their songs is just really, really good writing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's something that you saw that was a lot more common. <laughs> yeah, that's what's disappointing today when you, you hear some of the people today, you don't see the level of song craft. I mean, I, there are some bands at that least... are doing it. They, they, they create soundcraft that's like like what was then, but there's a lot of stuff in the top ten that's not the same as like the top ten in '72. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll agree on that, but I also think that you just have to know where to look because I do think there's a really blossoming experimental. Oh yeah, scene I think you like can't if, if you look if you look at the major radio, there's a big difference. But if you look where you're talking about, yeah. There are great bands that are not getting the credit that they should. Um, they're living in the underground. There's, that's where everything is. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that's good is like not under <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I actually think that there's there's some bands that are starting to make it out of the radio. Like okay, like one of my favorite math rock bands, Chon, just played like Coachella. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's people starting to break through into the, into the circuit. Which was, yeah, really surprising. I just wanted to, to break through more because some things like the, I, I do wish yeah, they I would the more. Yeah, I agree. Aren't giving some of these bands the do they should get, um, you know, but that's the way things are. Um, but yeah, I think eventually, like YouTube and SoundCloud and all these other 
Instagram, all these other venues. That's kind of like another question is because of the social um, media capabilities of these new platforms like Spotify and SoundCloud and Instagram, you know, artists like yourself are able to get out there. So what do you feel about that? And then also the flip side of it compared to being like in the seventies, you had to get through the gatekeeper and get on a label mm. to have your music out there. And then you were somewhat supported if you made it and you could tour and do all these things. What, what's your opinion on the way things are now as an artist compared to that? Well, I do like that there's no longer that kind of gate pe- gatekeeper for myself. Um, I do think that it lends itself to like, you know, literally anyone can make music. And, you know, sometimes it's not like the music that they do, that they make isn't great, <laughs> but like sometimes, but sometimes it means that people who would, who are great musicians that wouldn't have had the same opportunities because they didn't know the right people now can make a name for themselves just by, you know, uploading to Instagram or whatever. So I think it's a, it's a net positive just because it's worked out for me. Yeah, I think it's... it's and for, for many people yeah, that would... I think the only other... problem is, is, is this, I guess, trying to get... Um, yeah, I guess it depends on how you can manage yourself to get in front of audiences, you know. Yeah, I, I think I, it, there's a difference between just getting your music out there and actually if you want to make a, like a career yeah. out of it. it. When it comes to like, you really want to start touring, then you have to make a deeper dive into like doing live shows and getting to know you know a and r's and people in industry yeah then that's where the record companies actually helped with that whole structure you know with the road managers and tour managers and the linkage to the clubs and that's where they can get you you know to be an opening act and get you on a tour and get you into the scene where a lot of it now you have to kind of do yourself or you got to manage that it's hard as an artist to kind of do that if you're driven you do it you know you've got a group keep on doing it you work on it but Back in the day, I mean, having the companies to do that, that that was part of the whole deal, but. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it it just means that the do-it-yourself, you know, ideology has its pros and cons. Yeah, it's just harder to me to break out, um, you know, in in a big way doing that. I mean, you kind of have to have kind of grassroots, you know, word of mouth and just be pushing it and get to the right places. And, you know, if you when you're not doing it full time, it's hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. But I also think that it helps if just one person in like your small niche community of people on Instagram makes it a lot of the times that artists will reach back out and like look and scout for new talent. And if they got signed to a, like an indie or a, or even a major label, they can be like, Oh, there's, there's all these other people in the community that I came from. Oh yeah. Um, that are you know just as talented as me. Here they are. Yeah, it's the collective um, kind of you idea. Try to sign them. Yeah, collectives like bringing in other people and then having like that whole scene get signed. <laughs> you know, I, and in, in that way, yeah, that's that that's a, you know that 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 is something that happens. That's something you're involved in with your group, right? Because you're you're in a collective, so that's the whole kind of purpose of the collective, right? Yeah, definitely the 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 good of the person is the good of the collective. Yeah. That's cool. So have you been doing shows? Or are you primarily like a Spotify online artist? Or do you physically do shows? Right now, I'm not doing any shows. When I was in when I was in college, you know, I was a little bit more in touch with the with the scene because it was, you know, a smaller town. I, I went to UC Davis in Northern California. Um, I used to, I did used to like play like open mics mm-hmm. and like bars and stuff like that. Uh, but now you're primarily like online. I, right now, yeah. Right now, as it stands, I'm mostly on on the internet. But also, part of that is because I don't have as much knowledge of like the San Diego DIY scene, and part of it is because I'm not totally sure what my live show would look like, considering the kind of music that I make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm still kind of planning that out, but I do think that, you know, in not too long, I will be playing some shows. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing is like what I started doing is I do like Facebook live shows from my studio, 
so I, I got like a home home studio and then I got myself like my iPhone hooked up to a Go Mixer from Roland and I hooked it up to my R24 and then I get a soundboard recording that goes right onto Facebook Live. And yeah, then, I mean, that's that's an effective use of those platforms. And then you can platforms. kind of practice doing a show and then see what kind of impact you have um, on, on Facebook or these other platforms and you can, you know, practice actually doing a live show from the comfort of your studio and then as you get stronger then take it onto the road and figure out you know how to how to bring it to the road um, yeah i think i think that's a pretty good idea something that i could implement when the yeah it's comes. just a cool way to do it and when you do the soundboard recordings you, you don't actually have to make a lot of noise <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> get, because of electronic artists it doesn't like generate anywhere it's, everything you know is going through the the ether <laughs> so yeah. so it just is is somewhat cool because you can you can do a show at like ten o'clock at night and the loudest thing is like your voice you're not hearing like all the drums and everything coming through because everything's going from coming out of R twenty four right into the go mixer which is it gives you yeah. a cool way of doing it um you know even your guitar if you ran a guitar through you just hear like the strumming. You, you wouldn't hear the yeah, loudness I also of think... it. it would all go through the, the ether. So it, it, it does give a, light, a lot of artists capability. And I think they're actually even making ways for people to donate through some platforms. Mm -hmm. They actually can give you donations if you start doing good. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've thought about that um, playing on, on Twitch because yeah, yeah. I know that there's a community of musicians on Twitch. And I, I do play some video games and I've thought about like playing you know using twitch yeah. for what it's for for like streaming video games but but recently i've been thinking about you know i've been seeing some like musicians and uh especially like guitarists and bassists and drummers uh with twitch channels and that's, that's something that i've been seriously considering yeah, that's for sure cool. i mean i'm glad they're opening it up beyond the video games i mean the video games are cool but opening it up to other yeah. things is, is, is awesome because you know, musicians always, we need more like MTV like platforms because MTV has kind of gone away from music. <laughs> you know, yeah. it used to be, but Definitely. back in the day, you know, you had 120 minutes a show. They used to have like alternative college radio bands. You could watch it for like two hours and see all these bands. And you don't really see a lot of that on, you know, the music channels. It's all like real life TV shows. And everything's on, on the net, you know, yeah, like Twitch or YouTube or Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, it's, it's on all these platforms, which is cool. Um, but they're kind of, you know, net-based plat platforms, so you don't have that kind of uh, reach, you know. You have to kind of start your community on your own, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you take what you have today. I mean, YouTube can launch you, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a big platform. You, you can, but it's hard to get, get a lot of people to get into it with your like new uh yeah definitely but i think instagram is is a little bit better for the oh, yeah. grassroots definitely. and then and then once once you start to build a following you can start uploading videos on youtube and they and like your if you can you get get like the people that already like your content to just click on the youtube link that starts to drive up and drive up the the views yeah. and people on youtube who are just looking for new stuff will come across it just because of the, the yeah, algorithm. I'm, I'm, I was originally a SoundCloud artist. I hit like 80,000 listens. And then Anchor approached me about doing this podcast. And I started doing this podcast. And I went from like 1,000 listens to 18,000. Um, so, mm. and now I have sponsors. And, you know, so it, and then I use it to kind of push my music. And then I got picked up by a label in New York. So I actually have a distribution nice. label uh, with a Bentley Music in New York City. Um, but you know, I'm 51. It took me 30 years to get signed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, on your own time. Yeah, you do it on your own time. You do it because you keep on going. Everybody I started with stopped. You know, when I was 17, I was in the basement yeah. in the garage. Everybody stopped. Got married. I'm married, but I didn't stop. I just kept on going, <laughs> and then uh, that's I'm glad. what happened to me. If you're dedicated, eventually people will get to you <laughs> or figure find you. And that's what happened with me. People started to find what I'm doing. And I got a little niche, but it's bigger than what, what it was in the basement back when I was 17. <laughs> I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> uh, but, you know, now I'm talking to people all over the world. And it's cool. 
Um, and, you know, I finally got a deal. But like it shows you, like if you're dedicated to what you believe and you stick to your guns, you, you, you'll get it done, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I don't really see myself ever stopping, even if it's like doing it on the side. It's not something I think I would be able to quit just because I think that'd be terrible for my like no, own mental like, health. Art, art is like breathing, you know, like a painter's not going to stop painting just because they're not like, you know, Monet. Successful Monet, or you know, like making money. Print, yeah. <laughs> you're going to do it because you love it. Um, and yeah, music, exactly. music is like the same way. Most of the musicians I know, they, you know, don't do anything to play a gig. They'll drive like six, 10 hours to go play a gig. And then maybe they don't even get paid. But just to yeah. play, you know. Usually, like pure musician, they just want to get in front of people and play. And I know drummers yeah. will just go really long distances just so they can play a live gig. You know. <laughs> yeah, and that's I respect drummers a lot because yeah. they they have they have all the equipment. They have to set up yeah. all of their drums over and over yeah. again. I when I was in bands in college, I <laughs> I was so glad that all I had was like my guitar, my amp, and my pedal board, and I didn't have to, have to like screw in every single ride oh, and yeah. cymbal. Drummers have it hard. They got to carry their stuff. They got to have like a van or a truck. That is a yeah. pain. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the, the, the drum machines have kind of, you know, taken stuff, some stuff away from them. But if you're a rock band, you still need a real drummer. You know. Um, yeah. So if you're more rock oriented, you're gonna have a real drummer. You know, I I don't have a drummer. I've played with drummers. I love playing with live drummers. Mm. There's nothing like playing with a live drummer. I, I love it. There, no, there, is, there isn't. Every You're time right. I get to do it, I, I, I relish the moment because I love it. Because like, I go into my drum machine and I'll do something, but it's like it's never going to be what a real drummer could do. I, I fully agree. <laughs> you know, I try to do the best I can, but like a real drummer will always, just like a real bass player, you know, if you play bass on your Moog and you do as good as you can, you can do pretty good on a Moog. Um, but you get somebody that really knows bass and like, man, yeah, yeah, you take it. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I think the the next time that I decide to do shows, I'll bring not only my guitar, but I'll, I'll get a, a bass guitar because I think just having that bass and being able to improvise the little random things that you can add to the bass oh, yeah. melody makes a big difference in how people yeah, respond I mean, to your music. Playing a bass against like a drum track that was that's on a drum machine or something, a real live bass, that's a pretty cool thing. I mean, there's things you could do with that. Um, uh, I've actually done that in a couple of places. But um, yeah, I mean, I, any kind of live mix, yeah, because like a lot of what I do is I, I'll, I'll simulate different instruments and then mute other ones because I'm a one-man band. And so when I mm -hmm. run my show, I mean, a lot of times I'm playing the board, the keys, but but sometimes I'm playing bass, sometimes I'm playing the drums, sometimes I'm doing whatever. It's like, it's whatever I feel the song needs to be played live, then that part will be played live on that instrument. Um, but, you know, I think that's when you, do, you figure out how you're going to do your live show, there's all kinds of things you can do. Um, even if you're a one-person band, there's a lot of cool things you can do today with all the tools that are out there. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely look forward to planning all that. Yeah, out. it's just fun. I mean, I I, I do it because it's fun. If it, if it stresses you out, then you have to probably think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, music it should make you happy. It, it shouldn't, you know, make you go pull your hair out. <laughs> Unless you're trying to make your masterpiece, and then maybe that does that. But um, yeah, sometimes it, it's like maybe the music making process usually doesn't make me pull my hair it's usually the mixing oh, the mixing yeah <laughs> mixing is a whole nother thing i kind of you know i i do the best i can and then i i give it to my engineers but um yeah i mean if you're a, a solo artist you do a lot of in engineering yourself i mean you use a lot of tools to try to get the sound the best you can and then when you can get to another level you give it to a, a professional recording engineer just because they went to school for that but um yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you can spend a lot of time going through mixes, and I I would go crazy making multiple variations. But but a lot of times, the way I find <laughs> like my original mix is usually better. Than, that happens than the, to me too. The tenth yeah, one I did. usually when I <laughs> when I spend more than well, I usually spend like a day or two like writing 
songs and then if it's like a really hard guitar part i'll spend like another day like getting it down perfectly and then i'll spend another day or two on the mix but times when the mix is really frustrating and i spend like four or five days on the mix and the mastering it's usually because i just don't like the song and i end up just scrapping it (laughs) you find out you're doing that much on it you know it's kind of like if I have a song and I write, I got to keep on doing my vocals like 10, 20 times, then I know it's not as good as if I did a song and then the first or second or third take, I got it. I, I'm kind of a yeah. feel person. Like if I get, I usually like the song is good if I can get it on the third or second take. If I got to do like 10 takes, then I usually like leave it alone and go back to it later. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly how I worked. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of artists do that. Cause like, you find yourself, like, being tortured. And you, you don't want to be in a situation where you go and do a song, like, a hundred times. Like, you've got to go do it a hundred times. Right? Um, like, the 50th time or 20th time, you should have figured out that maybe that's not working. <laughs> but That's um, why I also just, I would also just get bored sometimes. So, I really feel for, for like, artists, especially, like, rappers who get, like, one really big song and then they have to perform it, like, every day for the next, like, year. Yeah. God, I would I would hate that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they have to refine their stuff, so they probably do a lot. Um, but I'm more of an atmospheric, uh, you know, stream of conscience type of artist. Um, so yeah. I tend to go with my gut feel. You know, I kind of do it from like a spoken word standpoint. So I, a lot of my stuff started from being mm-hmm. poetry. So I kind of, I kind of, yeah. If it feels right or it flows, I'm gonna stick with like the stuff that flows better and and not really dive into it. Though I know like rappers and hip guys, hop guys are more precise and they'll go wordsmith their stuff. And you know, <laughs> it takes probably a lot more than what I do. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it probably depends on the. Yeah, it depends. I mean, some guys are natural and they just get it out, you know. You know. Yeah, definitely like freestylers, people who, who just seem to have a knack for that can just come up with absolutely ridiculous word yeah. plays and double entendres, triple entendres, yeah. just right off the bat. Like, I have one of my favorites, like Earl Sweatshirt. I just like his delivery. Um, I love Yeah, I, I, and I think he kind of seems natural. He seems like he kind of just flows. Uh, he ab- yeah, he absolutely... Uh, has a knack and then, for yeah, a lot of times and he just puts just... it out like you know second third take i think that's what he likes to do and it's it's it works because it's it's just well defined the way he he just has this like narrative that he can put out you know, he's like a dylan like a rap dylan <laughs> yeah uh and i think he gets a lot of that from from like he really likes mf doom yeah mf doom's awesome. and I, I mean that's that's like kind of my my style i like that kind of stuff and I think he gets all of the right elements from Doom, but definitely makes like like brings it up to speed in like the year that he's actually yeah. working. Yeah, his last album. Yeah. not not that Doom is like out of date, no, I, but you know Earl is Earl is like yeah. Well, Earl, you know? you know, his choice of samples on uh, some rap songs is like brilliant. You know the way how he how, yeah, what absolutely. he did with it and how he sampled those soul songs and then mixed in like you know you know drum machines and samples and. They, he just did it in a really elegant way. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of that goes to the producer too. I think Alchemist worked. Yeah, on that. Alchemist worked and... with them, and he also is he calls himself some random black dude. He's like Earl. Yeah, yeah, that's his, his that's his uh, like producer. Yeah, tag. So he actually does a lot and... of his stuff. I mean, he has Alchemist came in, but he does a lot of his own stuff. People will be surprised. Um, but yeah, I I heard that. I remember in like a Vice interview or something. Yeah. So yeah. So so you're you're working on a new project, a bunch of new projects you mentioned. Um, so what 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 do you think your release dates for those projects are going to be? Well, I still have a couple songs that I have to finish on one of them. The other is pretty much done. I'm just mixing. So the the soonest one will probably be like two or three weeks. The next one would be you know four weeks from now. That's awesome. So have you thought of collaborating with uh, other like-minded artists or different artists in different genres? Like like, like a rock yeah, vocalist absolutely. or a punk rock vocalist or a female vocalist? Or... 
yeah i mean anyone whose art that i appreciate i would like to to collaborate with i'm really not picky about genre in terms of that just because you know uh there is a lot of you know mixed genre stuff in in my stuff anyways so if i can get someone who's really really good at like you know their niche thing yeah that's definitely always a plus yeah because i think your music with some vocals on it from like you know female vocalist or a hip-hop vocalist or even a spoken word vocalist you know electronic craziness yeah, <laughs> would, be, would be cool <laughs> you know i think it would because your songs I definitely like lend itself to somebody could interpret you know or you got you know depends on what you want you know because yeah. some artists like yeah you've got your vision for what you did and then somebody comes and does something it might not be your vision so it's just, it's a collaboration you got to find somebody that fits what you're overall you know it's probably not gonna be exactly what you would do but it's something that you want they think that doesn't clash with what you do yeah i mean and i would probably i'm pretty hands-off about that kind of stuff if you know if i respect the artist then i respect their vision for the song then and at the end of the day if i'm collaborating with someone on a song it's not really my song anymore the way i see it it's you know our well, song that's cool yeah that's the, that's like the 50 50 collab be like rem they do like 25 25 25 25 um, that they yeah. they felt like okay everybody's contributing, so they kind of just you know opened it up that way. Where you got other bands like the Eagles, <laughs> the famous <laughs> Eagles, they they got the whole thing where Don Henley and you know they uh, they just felt they can everybody else would like work for hire for them, like Joe Joe Walsh yeah. would like work for hire really. Which is crazy. Joe Walsh is like work for hire. It's like Joe Walsh, is, Joe Joe Walsh should, shouldn't be anyone's work yeah. for hire. Yeah, all those other guys is like, really? Everybody in that <laughs> was like at, at the top of their game, and you only you guys think you're you're the only ones. I mean, that's that's a problem when you get bands like that. But um, yeah, I, mean, I think like the the success story for a band is respecting the other musician. Yeah, I think the best collaborations happen when it's not just like someone coming in and getting paid for a feature but like someone going into the studio and working and like talking to the person i think that lends itself to the best collaboration yeah i think yeah I think and you, it, you know love for an artist not just a love for the paycheck <laughs> i think yeah. it's you like a lot of things today with the features i'm like okay are you doing that feature because you dig this person or you dig the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and the, yeah, that's that's something that definitely disappoints me is when like a really like a cool rapper or artist that I really respect just goes in and does like an absolutely trash feature on like a popular song, not because they're like a bad artist, but just because they just wanted to get paid and get yeah. The heck well, out. A lot of times, like that's what happens with the labels will try to get you doing stuff like that. You know, if you get on labels, yeah. that's what they want to do. Um, uh, you know, and to me, it's like. I, I kind of go from the period like back when artists would just collab because they were into it, you know, they, they, yeah. you know, they, they saw Jimi Hendrix and they wanted to sit in, you know, they saw Dylan and they yeah. wanted to sit in, you know, they saw the band and they wanted to jump in. People just did it because, you know, they wanted to feel that or they wanted to get in. You know, for, yeah, for, for the right reasons. reasons. <laughs> I think I can bring something to that, you know? And so that. Not just because, you know, and eventually you get paid. You, eventually you get paid when you do because you, Yeah, you get paid either you way. Love, love what you're doing, it'll work out. Um, but if you're just doing it for the almighty dollar, then it kind of shows sometimes. <laughs> you, you can definitely tell. <laughs> but, you know, everybody's got to eat. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean. Every musician's got to get paid, and it's hard to get paid. So I understand, like, if, once you're in that position, you probably do want to get paid. But Yeah, and if... I feel like, yeah, if if you're doing a feature on a song from an artist that you don't really care about or you don't really, like, enjoy their music and you're getting paid, like, $2 million, yeah. for it, well, I, think I so could just... definitely see myself, like, even myself, I would just phone it in. Be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you kind of go on, uh, uh, you know, autopilot and just let the career kind of take flight. <laughs> yeah i can i can definitely see that being a yeah I mean, a danger it's always the danger in the industry i think sometimes is that that's what happens uh you, you lose the fire in your belly you kind of just start doing stuff and then you can dilute you get you get a little but then you can even dilute the market because if you start making too many things like that 
And then people start yeah. looking at your reputation. It's like, okay, is he really serious or what, what is he doing? You know, um, so yeah. you know, then you get the newer artists that suddenly get, start being paid attention to, like like an Earl. Like, yeah. Earl, you don't see Earl selling this stuff for like Coke ads or Pepsi ads. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I would, I would definitely see Earl in a new light if he was if he was out here doing like yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not doing that, you know. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> you know, you get these guys that run in kind of kind of underground or got that legitimacy, and you know, legitimacy doesn't mean you have to make no money. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's just like an exactly. artistic vision that when you see this artist, they consistently have a certain level of quality to what they're doing. And they kind of yeah, and even even stuff that other people would consider like sellouty. Sometimes I see like uh, artists working with brands and making like you know commercials. If they do it in the way that the artist does it, sometimes it can be really funny. Yeah. Like if you've ever seen Vin, uh, Vin Staples like Pepsi yeah, yeah. ads, if you do it right, you can. Those are yeah, hilarious. Yeah, some things that you could do. Like if you make sure you have like artist input. You're not just being run by 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 a director. That you actually have. Some, yeah, you're not just like saying yeah, the lines there and come in different. there and say, "I got an idea. Can I do this?" Then yeah. at least you're being involved, and you want to you want to maintain your brand, and you want to maintain your image. So you do something that you know is going to be iconic, or within what you're doing. Yeah. There's not a problem with that. It's just if you get, if you find yourself getting used. And you're not really having input, then I think that is a different thing. But yeah, that definitely makes me sad. Uh, but if I see someone who's just like you know making their buck with an ad, and the ad is like funny, and they they actually had an input, I'm like yeah, yeah, but well, that just shows you want to be taken seriously, and that you're being considered as a full artist. You know, that you that, yeah. you know may, maybe eventually become an actor, or you start you know branching into other things. Can you show some? willingness to try to you know reinvent yourself like if you if you're an artist and you you start getting into acting and you're a musician you you, you're stretching yourself which is not a bad thing if you can do it um yeah and and there's certainly people out there who have the skills i mean look at like uh don glover challenge gambino yeah yeah, there's a lot of artists i mean even you know back in the day like ice t you know he was a hardcore rapper (laughs) yeah he's on law and order yeah (laughs) He's my favorite Law and Order character yeah, too. Like, yeah, he's always so confused about everything, <laughs> even though he's been there for like thirty years. He's been on the force. There's that, yeah. If you know John Mulaney, the comedian, he has a skit about that where he says, "Yeah, Ice T has been on the force for like twenty five years, but people still have to explain to him what like pedophilia <laughs> is." Yeah. Also, it's just interesting that he started off being such a radical like rapper, and then he became a cop. And no one in yeah, his, it's, it's, his lyrics. It's like, really? Yeah, You're definitely. <laughs> Vince Staples talks about that in, in an interview I saw recently where he was like, yeah, the 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 final sellout point for any like powerful young black rapper is playing a cop on TV. Yeah, becoming a cop. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, he didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, that's what happens. But I think, uh, yeah, this was a cool interview. And uh, what we're going to do is uh, we are part of Spotify. <laughs> and so this mm-hmm. will go out onto Spotify, but it also goes out onto 11 other platforms. And so you'll be out there on, like, Apple and Google Play and all these other platforms. Cool. I'll send you as many links as possible as they get published. And uh, <laughs> sure. also what's cool is on Instagram, you can highlight um this episode and it will actually be linked to the spotify podcast so oh, i will cool. actually do that on my instagram uh and promote mm-hmm. this for you know how many days i ever promote i usually promote for a couple weeks um and so that yeah and then you can do the same thing on your instagram if you want to if you have a spot yeah i mean i'll definitely tell people about like where to find yeah, it yeah, and then when you make the highlights so people can just click it it goes right to it so it's an active hyperlink and then we'll also cool. we'll include your Spotify um, hyperlink um, to uh, this podcast. So it'll be actually a clickable link. Oh, so thank they'll, you. They'll go right to your that. page on Spotify. And if you have any other pages you want to be on the podcast, let me know in the next hour uh, and just send them to okay. me and then I can include them. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think for now, uh, the Spotify would would be perfect okay. since I, everything Everybody that I release there. on other stuff, yeah, is on there except for I think like my first album. But nobody needs to hear that. That's cool. <laughs> that's that's what we'll do. And uh, thank you for being on the show, Shoe Finger. Everybody, go out to Spotify and listen to his latest material. We're gonna have the links up on this, so you can go do it from this podcast once it gets published. And we will uh, talk to you. We usually talk to artists um, when they have additional releases. So um, if you want to push your new releases, get in touch with us and we could have an episode about that. Sure. Thank you very much. This was nice. Thank you. Have a good night. Have have a good day. day. (laughs) Night. (laughs) Depends on which zone you're in. (laughs) Bye. Yeah.